Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super, super excited for another guest who's coming to us from the UK. We are going to be speaking with Richard Newman, who's an award-winning expert in leadership communication, storytelling, and influence, working in advanced communication since 1995. Richard specializes in showing leaders how to speak with greater impact and influence. He is the CEO and founder of UK Body Talk. He is regularly featured on BBC London Radio, and he's the author of the best-selling book, You Were Born to Speak. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you so much, and thank you for the introduction. Uh, yeah, it's really lovely to connect with you and be able to talk about this today. Yeah, and I, I always like to give my guest Richard an opportunity to start off by giving us a little bit more about a little bit more background around you and your story and what got you to the work you're currently doing in the world. Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question and one that I've told in many ways over the years because like you say I've been in this area. I've been running my company now for 22 years. I started off uh, looking at communication in different ways since 1995. Uh, really, for me, it starts before that, where I, I was aware back at school that I had a challenge with communication. And it's only just very recently that I, I got diagnosed with high-functioning autism. And I thought, oh, hang on a second, this is making sense of my whole life. I, I, that's what it was, because I was aware from the age of about four or five that I wasn't able to connect and communicate in the same way as other people in my class. They were building relationships and they were interacting with each other and doing banter with each other, stuff that I just couldn't seem to do. And so I thought I have to study this area. And a friend of mine gave me a book on body language when I was 16 and I was reading it thinking, this is it. This is the magic key I've been looking for. And then felt a bit disheartened thinking, does everybody else just know this? And I'm the only person who doesn't know this. So I thought, well, I, I've got to get better. So anyway, this opportunity came up when I was leaving high school. I thought, I don't just want to go into like university or, or in, into a profession. I really want to give back to the world. And I want to do that by helping people who really need my help. And so I then I volunteered to go and work in a monastery in the foothills of the Himalayas, where I would be teaching monks. Uh, these are Tibetan monks in exile from their country, and they need to connect with the local community. They needed to speak English to do this. So I went to work with them, not realizing that when I got there, I'd be confronted with the reality that they didn't speak English and I didn't speak their language. So we had to find a way beyond words of connecting. And so we used body language and tone of voice and it was like a baptism of fire, but a good thing that by the end of that six months, I thought I can really deeply connect with someone through my physicality, through my tone of voice, 
and then brought that into then studying acting training in London to further develop my knowledge on storytelling and presence and having an emotional impact on an audience and then bringing that into the teaching work that I do today. So, so when I work with people, it's really coming from this core driving passion of wanting to help people find their voice and bring their ideas to life. And you know, so many people out there who feel like they struggle to connect or they've got good ideas, but nobody's listening. And those are the people who I feel are on a mission to support in any way that I can. Yeah, I love that. I was so fascinated when I heard your story of, uh, of working with the monks. And also when you shared the fact that back in the day, you were quite introverted and shy and, and now recognizing where some of that would be coming from. And you know, it's, it's, and I, I love how you talk about, uh, there's a lot of power in being an introvert and I work with a lot of leaders who are, they might be introverts or they might even be ambiverts, right? They can go back and forth, but the way they may show up in the world or how they might show up in a meeting, they notice that it can be difficult. Some of the highly extroverted are all there owning the meeting, all talking, mm-hmm. not necessarily sharing the most valuable information for the meeting, but sometimes mm-hmm. dominating it. So I'm curious from your perspective for, from, for the introverted leaders who are listening and wondering what does it look like for them to be able to speak up more, but in a way that feels authentic to them so that they're not trying to imitate and be like the extroverts, but be, be able to speak up in a way that feels really um, authentic and, and comfortable mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, so so I've I faced this question many times with, with working with clients worldwide. So people across Europe, the Middle East, Asia, America, Australia, and this same kind of question has come up a lot. Where sometimes, if I'm working with my team over a couple of days on a workshop, eventually one of the leaders in the room will come up to me and say, "The thing is, Richard, it's easy for you, uh, but you know I, I'm an introvert and I've always kind of struggled with with presenting and." And then I say to them, I haven't revealed this yet, but I am 99. Like there's a scale of introvert, extrovert. I am 99% introvert. Uh, and by, you know, to give the definition that I think works best, I get my energy by being alone. Very comfortable spending some time alone with my hoodie on and just listening to music or something away from people. And then being with others requires my energy, whereas extroverts get their energy for, from others. And so, and my uh, my parents would always introduced me when I was younger is, here's our son, Richard, he's very shy. And I remember that phrase sticking in my memory of thinking, oh, am I? Oh, wait, so I'm doing something unusual here. And so my advice to them is to say, that doesn't actually hold you back. It doesn't need to be a blocker in any way. You just need to think about, okay, before a key meeting, what's going to give me the best moment of centering in myself, creating a sense of uh, energy? Is it going to be that if I'm in a busy working environment, busy office, that I just need to go and have a few minutes to collect my thoughts and rebuild my energy ready to go into that meeting. And if someone's an extrovert and they've just had like a two-hour taxi journey to get somewhere and they're going into a meeting, they're going to feel depleted. So they've got to think about what can I do? Who could I call during that? Who could I connect with at the coffee shop next door to the meeting to get the energy up there? Uh, but then, you know, coming back specifically to introverts who are struggling to get that piece of connection, I always talk to people about two focuses. So firstly, look at internal validation and then look externally at how you speak. So the internal validation piece is that sometimes I've certainly found this with sort of uh, that, that struggle or that disconnect of how am I getting on with this audience? 
is that we can find ourselves, everyone can, looking for external validation. We're trying to see a smile or recognition or a nod from someone around the room. And if we don't get it, it can spike our stress levels, cortisol hormone, our adrenaline levels, our heart rate, uh, getting sweaty because we're not getting that validation. Whereas if you have internal validation, so for an introvert, if you take five, 10 minutes by yourself before a call and really get centered in who you are as a person, what do you care about? What is really important to you as principles that you live your life by no matter what? You get focused on this piece. And then when you go into that meeting, you don't then focus in inwards because that makes you self-conscious. You focus entirely outwards on the audience and think, how do I want them to feel by the end of this meeting in order for me to get to the best place with our conflict resolution, with our high-level negotiation, with dealing with a challenging member of staff or a team meeting? How do I need them to feel in order to get the result? And everything you do is channeled towards it. Your body language, your tone of voice, your words, the way you handle questions, Everything is focused on that because that gives you the, the thread, the through line to take things through without having to feel self-conscious about how you do it. You give your mind the target and that's where you head. Yeah, I think that's so important with what you're saying, because a lot of times when I think about some of the clients that I'm working with, that's what we're doing is we're working on mindset. And often they're so super focused on themselves and how they're being perceived and how they should making sure they're being liked. Am I saying it right? And so I like what you're saying is you're focusing your attention in a different place. And that, which is ultimately what you want to do, right? Because those are the people you're trying to connect with and help get on board with ever, whatever idea. I was wondering what you were, as you were talking about that, I was curious your thoughts on, I know when I talk to some people, they also say what they notice is that not even so much when they're looking for the reinforcement out there, but they're literally processing. So they notice sometimes in that meeting, they're hearing, they're listening, um, they're processing. And sometimes the ideas might show up outside of the meaning because they just haven't gotten there yet because their their brain yeah. is still processing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important one as well because uh, certainly I, I find for myself, I need to have a moment after a meeting to, to gather my thoughts and give a decision. And my team knows that very well, that it's not, I'm not delaying, I'm not procrastinating. I just need a moment of silence to really filter through all the thoughts and then say, here is my decision. And so I'll do this with clients, with team members as well, to, to get as far as we can through the meeting and not have the pressure of the decision must be now because there can be influences happening in the meeting that, that take you uh, off center. And so have that moment afterwards. And even we, we had this this morning, we're having a, an important discussion about a new member of staff, which direction we're going to head in. And, you know, I said, as always, just give me 30 minutes after the meeting and the decision will be there because I need that moment to reflect. So I'd certainly say to, to people who feel the same way, don't be shy about that. Don't be shy about saying, I'll give you my vote in 20 minutes. If you know that you're going to be pressured for that vote, in the room that make sure that before you go in, you've had time to really clearly gather your thoughts. And instead of feel the need to get it really involved in the discussion, you've got your notes with you and you can add pieces to pros and cons or however you're making your decision while you're in there to stay really centered in yourself, in your own mind, in your own gut without being super swayed by the loudest voices. 
Yeah, I think that's so important. What you just said there too, is sometimes it can really help to prepare for the meeting ahead of time and have those notes. So you don't feel like you get lost when that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said. Sometimes it's about giving yourself permission and saying, Hey, this is what my process looks like Mm -hmm. and letting people know in a very intentional way in order to get to the best result. you know, that's what works best. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people can feel pressure to have to conform to a certain way of doing things when there's not one size fits all. There's lots of different versions of getting to that same place. Yeah. And this is core to my belief about communication as well. This is something that I've stuck with for so many years, uh, which is that, you know, great leaders need to look at this for every person on their team and to think, what is it that this person needs from me to be their best? And and if everyone on the team understands, okay, well, this person to be at their best needs to be here. This person needs this. A bit like you would with a sports team. Uh, You know, who needs to be point guard? Who needs to be, who's better at defense? So figure out what is best, how you get the best out of your team. And as a leader, you need to lift. So I talk about this concept of lift. Always communication is about helping the people around you go from any kind of negative or neutral state of apathy. It could be to go to a more positive state and do that through your intention, through the communication. You might need to lean into tough conversations sometimes. It doesn't make mean like put a smile on everyone's face all day long, but it's just about thinking, how do I help this person be the greatest version of themselves, even if they seem to be in a combative situation. If you do something or you act in a way, you speak in a way that is intending to lift them to a higher state, then you're going to get the better resolution. So I encourage people to really understand that about each member of their team. How do you lift them? I think that's a really important concept. And I was going to talk to you about that a little bit later in the interview. So let's go there now. Um, because I think that's something I talk a lot about is that you have a whole bunch of different humans as a leader that are reporting into you. And what works really well for one person can really turn off another person because they're all unique and different. And that's beautiful. We don't want everyone to be robots that are exactly the same. And so when you're talking about maybe you can expand a little bit more on this lift concept. What is that leader doing like energetically? Because I think of this, it's they're recognizing themselves and how they're showing up and now they're relating to that other person. And I like what you're talking about, that it's each individual. So talk to me a bit more about what's happening with this lift concept. So in order for a leader to really lift effectively, I I absolutely agree with the concept of putting your own oxygen mask on first. So let's start there. If you go into a meeting and you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out and trying to lift people, they're going to think it's it's, it's all right. You look after you for a minute because I don't think you're in the right place for this. Uh, But when you are putting your own oxygen mask on first, I mean, I've heard some people talk about saying that. I'm going to spend the next 10 years working on me. And then I'm going to think about family and friendships. And that's too long. Like the plane has crashed. Everyone's in the ground at this point. Uh, so you, you waited too long. So instead, I think it's important in small ways. And you can do this in small moments throughout the day. Uh, I certainly advocate uh, starting strong. So my morning routine starts the night before. Uh, so I'm immediately thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow? I get uh, like a warm drink that I'm going to have at the moment that I get out of bed. I know what sort of exercise is going to get me in the right state for that day. Uh, I, I know what I'm going to eat and prepared for the first couple of meetings of the day. So I can already be in a good mindset rather than arriving and feeling a little bit off balance and rushing through those. So I make sure that I look after me for a moment. And then as I go into those meetings, then again, within my state, I want to think, okay, who do I need to be right now in order to lift this person? 
And it's an opportunity for personal growth because sometimes people say, well, this is just me. Some people like me, some people don't. You know, I'm, I'm a bit like Marmite is what we would say in the UK. I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada, but you know, a bit. People, some people like it, some people don't. But actually, I would say it's a moment for personal growth to think if there's some people who don't, what part of you is not working in that situation to lift them? And therefore, uh, don't hem yourself in. So many people say, OK, this is who I am. All the behaviors and, and patterns and routines I have right now, that's me. It's not you. It's, it's less than 1% of your potential. So look at expanding that and thinking, what are all the different habits, all the different behaviors I could embody being me, not trying to be somebody else, being me that might actually be more effective in these situations. So look about uh, who do you need to be before you think, what do I need to do? And then when you go into that meeting, it is very much with that intention towards that person. We talk about a mentor mindset, which is rather than going in like the hero. So leaders often go in like the hero and go, right, what's the problem? I'll fix it. Get out of the way. I'll step forwards. And people feel disempowered or not listened to or uh, suddenly like they must be the victim of the situation because why did you need to sweep in and not let me do it? So instead, it's about you know elevating them to the greatest potential. And sure, there's sometimes you might need to say, that sounds like a job for me. I'm happy to pitch in. <clears throat> but otherwise, do find those places where you can empower and mentor others to be a greater version of themselves so that they grow and expand. And, and that can happen for your team too. Yeah, so many really important concepts that you just talked there. I, I'm such a believer in the self-leadership and making sure what are you doing outside of work and what are those rituals and how are you impact taking care of yourself and your energy and all of that kind of stuff. And then also when you start to be interacting with other people, um, I love when you talk about, well, this is just the way that I am. Um, we can be very married to identities. Like even when you were saying when you were a kid that you were shy, right? So people go around like, oh, this is my identity. I'm a shy person. Well, that's a story. It's all just, it's a narrative that's been created yeah. and it's not, it's not staying with that narrative. And then also it's much easier to stay in the comfort of knowing this is how I already am. Right. Then it's like, well, I don't need to do anything to change. So I'll just stay nice in here and comfortable because this is how I am as opposed to going over here where, Oh, now you're doing things differently. And we know from neuroscience, new neuro pathways, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable because you've had a yeah. old neuro pathway that's been there for a long time doing things the same way. So to me, that feels like a bit of a cop out, right? It's uh, it's easier to say the way things that they, they were to not have to take responsibility for for change and doing things differently. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to really recognize what labels are you putting on yourself? Are you labeling yourself as saying, well, I'm this way, I'm this sort of person, and therefore I can't? In, in which case, it's really just a huge excuse. You're just saying, well, I, I got to get out of jail free card here because I have this. You know, and, and it would be easy for me to do that as well and say, hey, I'm on the autistic spectrum disorder. That, that's, that's where I am. And therefore, I can't communicate with neurotypical people. So you know, don't judge me for it. But instead, for me, I genuinely see it. And I know that there's other people uh, with the same diagnosis who would say the same. I see it as a superpower. I think this gives me a perspective that I know other people around me don't have, so I can see things differently. And I think, okay, well, that's, that's the starting point. Great to get the diagnosis. I know what it means. And so how am I going to grow from here? This is where I am. I'm realistic about where I am. How do I grow from here? What, what challenges could I take on from here? And how would I approach that such that I do grow and expand rather than use it as a reason not to? And I, you know, I think that's what what we look for in leaders is someone who someone who inspires us is someone who overcomes and gets there despite the challenges. 
you know, nobody ever thinks, oh, wow, that person won a billion dollars on the lottery. I'd really like, I aspire to be like that sort of person because we think, well, you know, it, it was luck. I mean, sure, they had to buy the lottery ticket and well done for that. But what inspires us is when we hear a person went through unbelievable challenges and still got there. That's inspiring. That's the kind of person we want to be. And that's the kind of person we want to be led by. Yes. Yes. So well said. Absolutely. And I love the way you frame that as a superpower, because I think so often those things that we consider as shortcomings are actually gifts. If we take the time to learn more about ourselves and how we can leverage it in that way. So I, I really, really love that. Um, you have done training with over a hundred thousand people in 46 countries. So you've had exposure to a lot of different humans all over the world. And I'm curious when you start to think about impact and influence, I definitely want, you know, the leaders that are listening to this conversation today for them to take some tidbits around how they can have more impact and influence. But as a starting point, I'm curious around what are some similar patterns that you see globally around where people might have some faux pas around communication that you see consistently? Yeah, great question. So, so yeah, I mean, before the pandemic started, we would be, uh, on average, each of our trainers in our team uh, would be on maybe 40 or 50 flights per year going across. Uh, we might be doing training in South Korea or working in Bangkok, and then the next day we're in Paris, and then we go across and work in Las Vegas. And so we're getting to see these patterns show up. And so one of the big things that, that stands out, which is true everywhere that we've been, is that when people are approaching a meeting of some sort, whether it's a presentation, a client pitch, or speaking to a member of staff, as people approach the meeting, the big thing they always ask themselves is, what do I want to say? And just imagine that for every meeting we go into, everyone's thinking, what do I want to say? Well, how much listening is really going on in that meeting? Not, not very much. Everyone's essentially thinking, okay, I'm just waiting for you to finish. And then I'm going to say what I want to say. And it's, it's not connection. It's not communication in any way. It's just going in a room, saying your piece and leaving. And so the big shift that we make for people is to think, it doesn't matter what you want to say. It matters what do they need to hear? And really tuning in, sometimes there needs to be deep questioning, deep listening skills, and then coming out with, okay, this is the piece that they need to hear. And we also talk about sharing it in the order that is most useful for them. Not the order where you think, okay, I'm just going to start from here and hope for the best, but what order do they need to hear that in, in terms of how the human brain receives information? So we talk about the survival brain, the emotional brain, and the logical brain. We want to engage all of those parts to be truly compelling. And with most meetings... You know, the first slide that goes up, someone says, sorry, guys, I know there's a lot on the slide there, but I'll, I'll talk you through it. You know, just strap yourselves in for the next 75 slides. And straight away, it's like logical overwhelm. The emotional brain says, I wish I was somewhere else. Can I do Instagram under the table? Then why am I here? So, so that's a huge piece uh, that, that we notice uh, going wrong. It's just that disconnect of where your focus uh, might be. Lots of people focusing on logic rather than the emotional side. And I know this is a piece that you, you care about too, that people need to bring their personalities into work. When we hire someone, we're not just looking at the CV going, that is logically the qualifications we need in this building. It's also a matter of hiring a person who is going to feed that culture and become part of what the, the, the fabric of the, the company is all about. And so making sure that that personal side is there which right now is more important than ever, that sense of meaning, the sense of purpose and connection to others, to real people is, you know, is very much what we want to have. 
Um, but yeah, to come back to your to your question, other things that people do that we find happens everywhere. There's also physical habits where we did a piece of research working with uh, UCL, uh, which we did about five years ago. Now we put together this piece of research working with people across uh, Europe. Uh, into Asia, into South America, North America as well, to find out, is there a way that everybody seems to be communicating habits that we can see that are letting people down and other ways of communicating that works universally to improve the impact? And we thought, well, we might get like a 5% shift in how people feel from one habit to the, to the next. And actually, we found that from the most common habits you see day to day with the way people communicate, moving across to what had the best impact there was a difference. The biggest difference we got was a 59% increase in how many people would vote for you in an election when you say the same words and you wear the same clothes and you just go from worst habits to the best practice. And the things that we see people doing is sort of worst habits. Uh, we see a lot of this when if people are standing, say, for example, they tend to shift uh, across their weight from one foot to the next, or they sort of pace backwards and forwards. And this physical movement makes the person seem like they are ill at ease. They seem a bit shifty, as, uh, as we would say, rather than feeling like the rock in a storm, the person that we would look to for that leadership. We also notice a lot of people saying, and this is the funny one, people saying, I don't know what to do with my hands, Richard. Please tell me what I should do with my hands. And they're usually gesturing perfectly well when they ask me the question. And so we looked at this, like, is there something people could do? And the big habits we saw is that lots of people will do the same sort of gesture over and over again because they get caught up in a pattern and they think, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change this. I'm just going to keep going with it. So there's lots of repeated movement. And then some people who are just very still because they've been told, yeah, you move your hands too much and it's a bit distracting, so just don't move. And what we found in our study is that if you do the same motion over and over, or if you do nothing, you get terrible ratings. You're not convincing. You're not seen as confident. Uh, you're not seen as a good leader. Uh, whereas if you're making a, a range of movements which are congruent with, our, with your message, then suddenly all of your ratings uh, go up. And good ones for people to think about. Firstly, palms up. You can't go wrong with palms up in most situations where you're essentially saying to the person, look, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to you. I welcome you. I'd like to know what your questions are. And so you're opening up towards people. It's a very uh, nice way to engage people. And it's something that's missing from Zoom meetings because normally people are framing themselves in a position where like you can only see their chin upwards and they might be gesturing, but you just maybe catch the side of their shoulder. So that's a useful one to keep in mind. And then palms down is a good one to bring things to a close, to show a definitive message. And what's nice about it is it's universal. You can see them in hieroglyphics. You can see people, uh, politicians in Japan and the US using these same gestures because they're universal signals. So it's worthwhile understanding what they are and then applying them as and when you need to. Such great tips. I, I really, <laughs> I was relating to several presentations that I've been in with exactly what you said, like, oh, there's lots of word on this. Don't worry, I'll get you through this. <laughs> What? We all just shut down. We all just said you basically gave us permission to go daydream for the next 10 minutes. That's right. We can yeah. do this. Like I, I, I've been I've been in many meetings that have gone that way. So really good advice for people who are listening. Don't start with that. Um, and what that brought made me think of as you were talking about with the emotional connection, I'm such a, a, a big believer. And I mean, there's all the science to support this around storytelling and how much we emotionally connect to storytelling. And I know there will be people who say this because I've heard many in conversations, 
I'm just not like that. Like I I'm not a storyteller the same way people will say, well, I'm not creative. I'm like, yes, you are. Every single one of us is born creative. We all have creativity mm -hmm. in us. We all have stories in us. I yeah. think it reminds me to what you were saying with the mindset earlier, we kind of build the story around what it looks like to be the storyteller, right? The person yeah. who's there's a campfire and they're the one that's engaging everyone for the whole half an hour, but we all have that ability. So what kind of feedback would you give to someone who's saying, I know I want to help to, I want to start emotionally connecting a little bit more when I'm doing things, but I'm, I'm kind of scared about wh where to start with this storytelling. Yeah. Well, a couple of things to say on that. Firstly, if anybody says, like, I hear this a lot. If anybody says, oh, I'm just not good at storytelling, they do generally mean I I'm not the charismatic person who could hold the attention of a party and be doing all the banter all night, and, and nor, nor am I. Uh, but the piece to remember is that your great, 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 great ancestors, where before the days of PowerPoint, before the days of spreadsheets that we have now, there was one method to keep the tribe alive, which was that when a, a point for survival was uh, was realized, like, you know, run, when you see a saber-toothed tiger, run, or and, and other survival instincts they might, might pass on, they used the power of story, but they had to do it in such a way that the next generation and the next generation would still remember those messages. So you can't just say, uh, you know, here's my spreadsheet that's about the caves in the area that are best for survival when a saber-toothed tiger comes along. It's not about that. It's about passing on that story that becomes a legend that transforms how people think. So every human, we can see this in civilizations around the world that didn't even connect with each other. There's evidence of them using the same framework for storytelling, which is simply looking at engaging the person's mind through emotion, then logic, then action. That's the way to think about it. So to get started on this, it's worthwhile thinking about the questions that you ask people. You can go through three levels of questions that you have just to get yourself to the place where you're comfortable with really diving into emotion. So first of all, when you meet people, clients, team members, your line manager, whoever it may be, you can start off with the top level of really around sort of context and data questions, high level, just understanding, well, what is this situation? I'm not going to come straight in and say, how are you feeling right now if I don't know you? So I'll start off with, okay, what's the situation? Let me learn something about it. Once you've done that high level question, you've then gained permission to go to the next level, which is to say, you know, tell me your thoughts about it. Tell me your feelings about it. What are your opinions about it? You're diving down into the emotion. And then beyond that, if it's relevant, you can go down into a third level of question, which is what is the deepest driving motivation behind this situation? What is the greatest concern? What is of most importance? So you find out what is, what is really going on behind that situation. Too many people go in right saying, okay, so the, the current number is 6.9. We want the number to be 7.8. So let's just look at the, the numbers rather than understanding what is driving the behavior behind that. So I'd say go through those levels of questioning, and then you can talk about the future. You can say, well, where would we love to be? Give me context on it. Uh, you know, what are the emotions involved there where you could say, tell me your thoughts. How do you want to feel? How do you think people will feel about it if we achieve this? What are we looking for? What is most important in that journey that we want to be taking here? So once you've done those sort of questions to open up the emotional part of the conversation, you throw it back as a story. And this is what we've done as a business for 22 years. I'm very proud of our incredible team. We have, we have grown every single year through the 2008 recession that we had, through the pandemic that shut down our industry. We've grown every year. And one of the pieces that's helped us there is when we pitch, we never give a brochure. We don't show a slide deck. We just ask questions, just like I've, I've said there. And we repeat it back as a story. And we say to them, okay, so based on our conversation so far, it sounds like the current challenge looks like this. And the major parts of the challenge is 
are these, and you feel like this, and ultimately that could lead to this piece. And then what you're looking for in the future, it sounds like you know, you're know you looking for this, you want to feel this way, and ultimately it would take us there. How does that sound? And all you've done is to take them on a story, a journey in their minds from the past to the future through doing things in a very professional way, but you're engaging the emotion, you're engaging the imagination, and then you're ready to say, hey, well, if that's what you want to do, let me share with you some, some data, some information, some spreadsheets that will get, get us on that journey. And suddenly they're thinking, I will look at this. I'll look at your 50 slides with spreadsheets because I know it's taking me on a journey from where I was to where I want to be. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's not storytelling is not something that's once upon a time. It's not fluffy. It is how do you make sure that people really care about and understand your information? I mean, so critical. Everyone who's listening to this conversation right now, I know they can apply this in some way and will recognize those times that that's not how they approached it and why it didn't necessarily go the way they thought that wanted to go. And, and I love what you said. It's not that you're not going to at some point show the data and the spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you're not starting there. You're starting mm. by really understanding their needs and where they're struggling. So they feel really seen and heard, but then helping them see, be able to paint the picture of where you can take them and how they can get to a place where it's not like that anymore. Um, love that. Love that so much. Um, as we're getting close to wrapping up today's conversation, uh, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. And one is, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to talk about when you think about inspirational leadership. And I think for you, it's going to be a lot about what does that mean to be an inspirational leader who has impact and influence? What does that look like to you? How would you describe an inspirational leader? So I, I think... An inspirational leader is someone that makes you feel like you want to be a better version of you. So people may have a, a version of that in their lives where it might be a grandparent that has always believed in you and been there for you, but has also challenged you to be that better version. They've been the person who has known when you're letting yourself down and they're able to have that conversation, but not make you shamed about it, not make you feel guilty. They just make you want to be better for them. And, and, and they leave you so empowered by it that, you know, after they pass away, you still want to aspire to be that version of you. So I think great, great leaders help us see the greatness within us and make us want to bring that uh, to life. And certainly that's what I look to when, I, when I'm looking for uh, inspiration. And it's what I aim to do for my team as well is uh, never to, to make them feel disempowered or negative about, you know, what's happening, but to help them find that, that, that positivity, that greatness within them, uh, even in very challenging conversations. Uh, so that's really what I believe a great leader should do. Yeah, I love that answer so much on so many levels. Um, and, and then my last question for you is, this is your opportunity to leave your final thoughts with the audience. So whatever is showing up for you in this moment, that is the kind of words of wisdom that you would like to leave with them. Sure. So I think my most important message at the moment is to, to make sure that you are doing everything you can to reach out and connect with other human beings. These last couple of years have been really hard on people and, and harder than you may even imagine on the emotional well-being, the mental well-being for people where we are, as human beings, spending less time with each other. Our, our communication skills, therefore, are, are dropping and people are starving that sense of of purpose, of being part of a tribe, of, of being seen, of being heard. So I would ask you very simply, uh, 
aim to do whatever you can to spend more time connecting with people, making sure that they, they feel connected with you and, and helping them see the greatness and the potential that they have within them. Something that happened for me back when I was in my early 20s is that somebody saw potential in me that I just didn't know that I had and gave me an opportunity uh, to, to teach his team. I, I didn't get paid for it, but he said, I believe in you as a teacher of communication. I thought that that's not something I'm going to be doing. And he said, no, no, I see this and I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it. And because he believed in me that much, I approached the challenge thinking, I really don't want to let him down. And then I, I, you know, I've been running the company for 22 years uh, since then. So, so I encourage you see beyond what is, is uh, presenting itself on the surface to who is that person right now? What do they need from you? And if you see greatness in them and help them get there, then they will always thank you for it. Yeah. So good. So powerful. Um, Richard, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, so if people want to go to ukbodytalk.com, ukbodytalk.com. That's where you can find out more about uh, my work and also the rest of our brilliant team and, and all the other areas uh, that we cover. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, the best place is uh, LinkedIn, Richard Newman Speaks. That's me, Body Talk, Richard Newman. I'm on Instagram, Richard Newman Speaks as well. Amazing. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Richard, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much, Kristen. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. And to everyone, wherever you are in the world right now, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending tons of love. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.